2: Conversations on life, style, beauty, and relationships. It's the Velvet's Edge podcast with Kelly Henderson.
3: Hey, y'all. Kelly Bannon here. Another Kelly, not our our usual Kelly Henderson, but I am filling in today for Kelly. And I've actually, I've been on Velvet's Edge. It was a couple years ago. Um, I admire Kelly Henderson so much. Um I just think she's badass and she is who she is and I am always inspired by, by how she is un- unapologetically herself um has carved out so many places for her for herself to be herself i find that so cool and inspiring um a little bit about me i am a singer songwriter here in nashville tennessee this is my hometown i host a couple shows for apple music radio um a daily show and a weekly show for them and so that's a lot of my days are talking to people um and all of that kind of came out of a podcast that I launched, um, maybe gosh, six years ago or so. And it was called This Nashville Life. So I'm I don't get to do as many podcasts now as I did back then. So I'm really thrilled to get to be, um, to, yeah, to get to be in this podcast space um, and, and kind of filling in for Kelly. I listened to um, the the episode a few ago that was just like the short kind of episode from Kelly that she was just talking about um, the need to take time off. And I found that in and of itself um, just super encouraging and super inspiring. And I wanted to just say, I don't know if Kelly is going to listen to any of our episodes but while, while she's gone, but if I was writing a love letter to Kelly right now, and you are listening to it, um, it would just be that um, this season, um, because it sounds like it's kind of been a painful one, that this season would, um, would be useful, that it would be redemptive in her life. And I, um, Kelly knows a little bit about my story. I'm going to share a little bit of it with y'all now. But I have found I've ha- I have a lot of loss in my story. Um, and I have two siblings, my younger brother, grant and my older my older half brother sean both passed away a little over 10 years ago um, tragically in um, both drug-related deaths and out of that my world was really spinning and watching my parents suffer through that was really painful it was painful to also just like go through that as a sister but what i can say about pain what i can say about suffering um is that the other side of it? Like there will be one, there will be an other side. And that two, it pain and suffering as much as they suck are a very, very useful tool for um becoming like a better, cooler, nicer person, and I I think that's I hope that doesn't sound trivial, but I am confident that I I would never wish what my story on anyone else. I wish it hadn't happened to me, and I bet you feel that way too. Maybe if you have loss in your life, but I know in like the depths of my heart that I am a better person because I have um because of the loss in my story and because. Um, I have had suffering and I can be empathetic with people in a different way. And so all I would say to you is the thing that I think is really hard in this culture that we live in now is it's almost like we want the fruit out of order. And, and when you're in a season, that's a crappy, shitty season. Like there isn't a shortcut. And in it's really hard when people want you to kind of like cheer up or like even the pandemic, it's like, No, it's, yeah, this is hard. So there's going to be fruit and there's going to be, there's going to be healing on the other side. But when you're in it, or like when you're in a recent loss, if you are are recovering from a a trauma, that's going to be like, you don't have to rush through your healing. It will take its own time. It is up and down. And, um, And and like, let me and I just want to promise you that there is and that there is another side. The other side is waiting for you. And there's just there's just no shortcut. Um, But we're going to talk about something today that I think actually, if there is a shortcut and really, that's not what it is. But if there is a path to healing for me in my life, it's a big part of my story is actually um, the growth and healing that I found in therapy and that was for a couple reasons. One, like I said, I my brother my brother Grant passed away and then my my older half brother Sean passed away. And in that my my husband and I our marriage was just coming apart and we felt such desperation. It was like we didn't know what to do with the feelings that we were having about the loss and we didn't know what to do with the conflict that we were having in our marriage and we started going to counseling. We called it counseling back then. It was also very, it felt very taboo 15, 12 years ago, probably when that was all happening, I guess 2010, probably um, 2009. So uh, that has been a huge part of our story and out of our own journey in therapy. My husband actually went back to school and became a therapist. So I thought it would actually be kind of interesting today to ask him questions that like, our friends ask him a lot or um, that, uh, there's a lot of mystery around the counseling world and, and what happens between a therapist and a client and, you know, things that people maybe are afraid to ask or uh, and so we're going to get a little nitty gritty um, and I'm going to actually put my husband on the other side of the microphone and ask him about being a therapist. His name is Jeff Grossman. And so now I'm going to welcome Jeff. I interview a lot of people. I've never interviewed my husband before. (laughs) I'm kind of nervous. He's already like said things that we can't (laughs) include in the podcast. (sighs) Okay, so Jeff, I was thinking the way that we could set up this conversation. Do you want to say hi?
4: Hello.
3: (laughs) Do you need me to move your microphone closer? Do you see don't have to lean over to talk into it? No. Okay, you doing good?
4: I feel kind of like an artist, though, like I could sing a little. You feel like, like who? You.
3: Oh, you think you're me now? Yeah, you know, <laughs> you want people to people kind us of a little... like,
4: are like eating the microphone when they're singing?
3: Yeah, you want to do a little, you want to do a little ditty for us. <laughs> you want to give, get laid on us.
4: <laughs> I not <don't> actually sing.
3: <laughs> I know. Okay. So here's what I was thinking. Um, I was thinking we could start with, you're a therapist. You have this kind of like interesting, cool job that I think there's a lot of mystery around, too. And my thought was we could kind of demystify, like, what it is, what therapy is, what counseling is, what you do in the counseling room. And, like, maybe there's a way that that conversation could inform people that are on their own mental health journey. Um, And I think it's just kind of fascinating. I've never really turned the tables on you and, and talked to you about, like, a lot of this stuff before. So what I was thinking is like, could you start with just a little background? Like we don't need the 45 minute version, but like, what's the couple of minute version of your background in the therapy world? Like how were you first introduced to therapy in your own life?
4: Yeah, I don't have a 45 minute version. So I'll just give you like the version. <laughs> Great. Um, I would say we got introduced to therapy together. hmm. Uh, at a time when our life in our marriage seemed like it was not working or spiraling out of control mm-hmm. and so we started because um, we grew up i think both with some version of a church background so we started i think we kind of both already knew that our families weren't going to be able to help us they were probably significant causes to a lot of our dysfunction (laughs) together. So we kind of went to the place that we thought could help us, which was the church. Mm -hmm. And we had some bad experiences. Some really
3: bad therapy.
4: (laughs) Some bad (laughs) church help. Sometimes
3: in churches, there's like a quote, a pastor who's a counselor, but they are often not actually they aren't trained like the way that you went back to school, got your master's. Like they often don't have any kind of accreditation for that. They're just like, Oh, mm-hmm. I'm like a wise person that helps people. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And we got probably with some that were not very good. Mm-hmm. And so I think we left those experiences thinking we really do need help. And we found a counselor and um, I think we were having difficulty Um, adjusting to what it looks like to give up ourselves for one another in marriage. I would say the loss of your brother was a contributing factor. Mm -hmm. I would say me working for your crazy dad was a contributing (laughs) factor. And so we found a counselor and we went uh, some version of weekly. Yeah. Um, We actually went for six months. I think I quit.
3: I don't even know if it was that long before you quit.
4: And then, Uh, I remember really clearly, he was like, do you want to keep coming? You were like, yes. And he looked at me and was like, do you care if she keeps coming? I was like, no. So I'm
3: just going to stop there for a second. That's right, guys. The man who went on to be a therapist.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Quit after six
3: months. (laughs) Um, Quit after his first six months of marital therapy with, because, well, I don't know. Why did you, you just were like, this is stupid. It's not helping. I want out of here. What did you, what happened? Yeah,
4: I mean, I would say probably it had to do with money because that's a big part of my story. So it was expensive. It
3: cost a lot. It
4: cost mm-hmm. a lot. And then I think I just, yeah, at that time in my life, I think I was like, ah, eh, this guy's not going to help us. I mean, he's given me what he can. I think I'm done with him. Mm-hmm. And you were, ready, you kept going. And I think that was when, you know, probably four or five months later, I was realizing, like, you were changing and growing, and I was not. And I think I started to get scared that you would grow past me and leave me. And then I remember I wanted to come back and there was, it was hard to get back in. Um, but we did get back. And then I think we did some version of, uh, weekly therapy together for another three years, maybe Yeah, at least I think four years. And then as part of that, I started doing, he recommended or kind of made me to get back into therapy. Do
3: He's kind of a bossy therapist. He's <laughs> he a great a therapist, but he's kind of a bossy therapist.
4: And so for me to come back, <laughs> I had to do a group.
3: Yeah, I think he, he had, there were contingencies that was like, or, or stipulations, like if you're going to return to therapy, I want you to be in a group, which what is a group? What's a group? What's group therapy?
4: Well, I didn't know at the time, um, but group therapy is just kind of like doing individual or couples therapy, except you're doing it with a bunch of people who you don't know. So it's like, it is what it is, right? It's it's what it says it is. it's therapy in a group setting. So I did that, and I actually it was it, that was what really changed I think for me was the the therapy in a group. Um, I think the observational nature of it it helped me to learn more about feelings, like the feelings that I probably was having and didn't know I was having by watching other people have them in the setting of the group. So
3: oh, so you're saying like in th- in group for you. Not as much as like what you were specifically working on it as a member, but you could watch the dynamics of the group and watch other people say like, wow, that makes me feel really sad when that you were watching people start to use language around their feelings. And you were that was like your training ground. OK.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Because I grew up in a family where there was the feeling was glad
3: that was the only that was ma-
4: maybe, mad. I was going to say maybe, maybe mad and glad. maybe some sad, like maybe maybe. <laughs> it's mostly just be glad. Like, and so it was be happy. Yeah, it was helpful for me to like see like yeah, I think my first couple years of therapy was just working with the idea that like oh, not all of these feelings are bad.
3: Ooh, so yes. That's a
4: big big part of the journey. So anyway, uh ultimately, I was in the car business, mm-hmm. which was part of the craziness of our marriage early on. For sure. And then your dad decided to sell that dealership that um I was running uh, with him at the time. And then I kind of had this freedom to kind of think about what to do with my life. And the thing that I had probably enjoyed the most was group therapy. So I went back to school to be a group therapist.
3: And like if you were to say, what kind of healing... Or what kind of growth have you seen in yourself that was like, wow, this is helping me. This is meaningful to me. Like, what was meaningful about it? What could you look to in your life and go, my life is better because?
4: Sure. Yeah, for me, if we go back to my therapy, you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When So my therapy was pretty tangibly two things. Um, the first one, which was the thing that's near and dear to my heart, is money. <laughs> And I was aware. And building as,
3: a whole life around, like, is there enough? Yeah, yeah. How do we make sure there's enough? Yeah.
4: And I think what was happening as I was doing group therapy and doing therapy with you, I was becoming not only more accessible to the feelings I was having, but I became significantly more aware of the feelings other people was ha- were having. And as I became more aware of that, I became a better leader and manager at work, mm. which then impacted my ability to make money and be successful which is like up my alley. So I was loving that. And then I think secondly, I was connecting with you differently. Yeah. I don't know if that should be the second one, but that was the second one at the time.
3: Thanks, babe. And so I'm glad I'm in there.
4: I, I, was, <laughs> I was connecting with you more. And so it was like a win-win, right? I was like better at what I wanted to be good at. And I was connecting with you more, which is the original what, reason we went to therapy. The original reason we were going. So it was like, oh, this is great. And then I was hooked.
3: I would also just like, if I was just going to pop in, like, I don't know where people are in their lives, but our marriage was in such a bad, hard place at that time. And I don't think that you have to go to counseling or have to have therapy in your life in order to, to grow your or fix your marriage. But for us, when I look back at how bad our, like, I think we can both say that without hurting each other's feelings. It's like, wow, there was so much healing, so much growth that was possible. Like if you're listening and you don't want to give up on your marriage, but it feels hopeless, like there are th- like I feel like we're an example of like, it's not hopeless. Like it can feel really hopeless and it's not. There, There is always hope. In fact, there was a quote that that therapist had. He had like the Latin version of it on a mug and it was where there's breath, there is hope. It's like, as long as your heart is still beating and your lungs are still... breathing in and out like there is hope for change and you know and healing so so you go back to school we're going to fast forward through that um and you open a practice here in nashville as kind of a second career in your mid-30s but like demystify for us like why does therapy work? What is the what is the foundational thing that's happening between those two people in the room, regardless of the style of therapy or the framework? What is happening between two people in, behind that closed door, or if it's a couple, three people? What's actually happening that makes healing happen?
4: I don't know that I have the answer to that question, but as I've done, you know, like I guess, to continue some version of, as we've gone on, we no longer do couples counseling, but we do most of our work individually. You and I? Yeah.
3: Yeah. We both see individual therapists as part of our health, our overall health. Yeah. Yeah.
4: And as I've done that, and as I've read like literature, I would say my work has become the ability to put my thoughts and feelings into words. And I've, my experience is, is that, and I think literature kind of says that as people learn to do that for themselves in relationship with other people, they typically live lives that have greater satisfaction. So I would say that is the overarching, um, if you, that's the overarching work that I'm probably doing with most of my clients and most of the people who I've experienced being good therapists are helping people put their thoughts and feelings into words because most people have kind of like a Western education, they're good at thinking. And so really we're erring more on putting your feelings into words because that's where often people are deficient. And so that, that's probably the biggest thing that I would say I'm doing with all of my clients. Um, and then the other thing is just like, I think there's just something to have a place where you know what you're said, what is said is confidential. And that there's someone that like, uh, holds you with positive regard, like really just cares for you wholly. Um, and I think that those two things like the work and then finding someone that just like cares for you and about you, I think that is kind of the Petri dish of human growth.
3: That's interesting. So like. You know, people might come to therapy thinking, I wanna work on my communication skills, I wanna work on my relationship, like I wanna heal from trauma, what I wanna deal with my anxiety. But all of those things you're kind of addressing by saying, I'm gonna like we can help you know what you're feeling. We can help you articulate what you're feeling. So other people around you will know (laughs) too. Um, and you're also the, the interpersonal of you to me or me to you in the therapy room is like, we're also, we're practicing being in relationship with other people and having like safe friendship and relationship. It's like, you think you're going to like fix my marriage, but really I'm going to like learn how to talk about my heart, learn how learn who I like for me, a lot of that work early was like, learn what I even think about something. How do I feel about something? Like, who am I in this? Um, what kind of, okay. I feel like there's a lot of like names. It's like counselor, therapist, and there are psychiatrists, there's psychologists. Like there are people that like prescribe, like what can you like tell us what those roles are?
4: Sure. Um, yeah, so if we start at the top with psychiatrist, that's going to be the person who went to medical school. And so psychiatrist is your most kind of like formally trained person, typically doctor, and they are going to be able to prescribe you medication. So that's kind of the top of the food chain. Um, and then what you're looking at is the amount of education or the. Um, yeah. The amount of education basically. So everyone then that's not a psychiatrist is going to be some version of a therapist. And there are some psychiatrists who also do therapy, not just medication or scripts. But if you just put the that aside, psychiatrist equals scripts, then you have psychologist, which is a doctor kind of level training to do psychotherapy. And then you have a um, LPC or LMFT or LSW, and those are different types of graduate level training that allow you to be a therapist. And what are you? I'm an LPC. I'm a licensed professional counselor.
3: Licensed professional counselor. Okay. So that's like kind of nitty gritty, but I think it's helpful because like, I feel like coming out of the Christian world, people didn't want to say therapist, but they would say like counselor Are those names are like synonymous. They're just, they're really the same thing. I would say, um, Okay. I think one thing that happens a lot in our marriage, because people know you're a therapist, is we get a lot of requests for referrals. Like friends of ours or my friends will be like, can Jeff recommend a therapist for me? And I was kind of thinking like you always frame it a certain way. You ask me to go back to them and ask what they're looking for in certain categories. If somebody's like, you know, maybe had a bad experience with therapy and that ended or they're looking for they're starting for the first time. What questions should they ask themselves in order to like find a good fit?
4: Yeah, that's a good question. The, if you think about, again, going back to like literature and research, like what produces the most positive outcomes in therapy? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> so, does.
3: <laughs>
1: uh,
4: they would say um, it's actually early on in therapy when you're meeting with someone, it's kind of just this basic, do you like the person? And do you think that person can help you with your problem? And so I think that oftentimes is the basic thing of what are you looking for? I'm looking for someone that I'm gonna to wanna to spend time and money with and someone who I think can help me. And that across all the different things people do in therapy intervention wise, most research just boils down to like, if the person who's the client likes the therapist and has like a positive kind of transference towards them, that actually is what produces the best results in therapy.
3: Okay. On top of that, do you, I feel like you usually...
4: Want to know if it's a, do they want to see a man or a woman? Um, Do they kind of have a general thing that they know they want to work on as kind of an original, what they call a presenting issue? Mm -hmm. So I typically ask those things because uh, somebody who's new or somebody who's starting therapy is most likely going to have a better experience. If they know they want to work with a man, let's refer them to a man. If they know they want to work with a woman, let's refer them to a woman. And if they have like a really specific thing, like I want to work on something traumatic or I have anxiety or I want to do marital counseling, let's send them to someone who specializes in that and we'll take care of
3: them. Yeah. Okay. This, I'm going to, I think, Please correct me because you're the actual expert and I'm just married expert. to an expert. So I think expert, an expert with an asterisk. Um, but as the thing that's kind of interesting, too, about that gender question is it's not just like, oh, I'm a woman. I'm going to feel more comfortable with a woman. Like there actually is really cool stuff that can happen, like certain wounds or certain relationships that like can there can be a source of healing sometimes between like a female client and a male counselor. Like we worked on, you know, in our, in with my first counselor, we worked a lot on what, what was kind of some stuff from like my childhood with my dad. And he was able to sort of be this like figure that helped me heal because he was a man. so like there are, I think there are some really cool things that can happen. Like you might, a certain gender might be the right fit during a certain season of your life. And you know, And that might change, too. Um,
4: I would say, ultimately, you probably want to do therapy with the parental figure that was most problematic in your development. Okay, did y'all get that? Let's say
3: say that one more time. You want to do therapy with...
4: At some point.
3: At some point with...
4: The parental figure that was the most problematic in your childhood development.
3: So if my most problematic parental figure was my dad, I would want to do therapy with a man that could help heal that.
4: Which is what you were Yeah. What we were talking about. Yeah. Yes. Which is true. That's really
3: interesting. Um, That makes me think, well, you haven't really, have you done very much therapy?
4: It is actually, I have not done a lot of therapy with a woman. I think, you know, as, as gender has evolved over time, you can.
3: There is more, there is more flexibility flexibility there too. There's more flexibility
4: in that. But, So, you know, that's not a hard and fast rule, but probably at some point I do need to find a a female therapist.
3: (laughs) I'll put it on our to-do list. Okay.
5: If you know anything about me, you know I am a massive creature of comfort. It is one of my top priorities in life to make my surroundings comfortable at all times. So when I found Cozy Earth, I quickly scooped up all of the luxurious bedding and loungewear that I could. The temperature-regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew add comfort and a touch of style to any travel ensemble, and their bedding comes in the most adorable totes, making it a super easy gift to give anyone. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code VELVETSEDGE at the checkout for an exclusive 35% off and let them know we sent you when you're at the checkout.
0: Bean Dad, The Dress. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing.
3: Um, okay, here's, I was going to just like, this is stuff people are usually curious about. Like, like it costs money, right? It costs money. In Nashville, what's a range that like therapists, good therapists cost?
4: Uh, in Nashville, I would say you're probably right now in the market for a 50-minute counseling session to probably pay somewhere between 100 to $250.
3: Okay. And... One thing that you're really good about and that I'm not good about is you're really comfortable talking about money, but like, can you just like defuse the bomb for people? Like therapists expect you to talk about the the price of their therapy with you. Like there it's on the table. It's permission granted. If it's too expensive, they expect you to talk to them about it. And they're, you know, it's like, I like that, that there's this thing in therapy where it's like, Anything that you need to talk about with your therapist could be therapeutic. Like, do you remember when you confronted our counselor for starting late? Like this therapist was like starting late consistently, like five or six minutes late. And Jeff, who is like, he's thinking about what every minute actually cost him. And he was like, hey, man, like it really makes me angry or whatever, you know, when we start late, I feel like you're taking like money from me from like what I've set aside to do therapy with you. So I would encourage you just in my experience, knowing a lot of therapists being married to you, like everything's on the table. And like, you can ask questions about the money part. And some people offer a sliding scale. Like maybe you're going through a hard time and you say to your counselor, I can't pay a hundred right now, but maybe I could pay 75 for the next six. Like you can talk. They maybe can't do that, but like all of that is kind of on the table, which is so where there aren't that many relationships where we have literally any, everything is on the table to talk about.
4: Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. I think, yeah, the two things you might mention in there, a lot of people have insurance and they hope that their insurance will pay for their therapy. Um, I think the sad reality is, because insurance reimbursement rates are not that great. Most of the people who are pretty good uh, leave the insurance realm and just go to like a private pay, private practice type setting. So that sometimes is difficult, Um, but. And then the other thing is just if you're gonna talk to someone about money, it is better when it's part of the therapy. Um, right sometimes people reach out and it's more like they're trying to negotiate before it starts more like buying a car (laughs) and that typically at least for me i'm not that engaged or interested in doing that but but you're happy to talk in the room yeah once the session kind of starts and people can like do it relationally i think that's the more compelling way um just because again you're doing work with someone around their thoughts and feelings about money which almost everyone has, everyone has thoughts and feelings about money.
3: Okay. Are things really confidential? I feel like people are always like wondering, like if their (laughs) therapist is actually like, talk to me about the trust. Talk to me about what are the exceptions? Like are things really confidential?
4: Yeah. I mean, every therapist I know, um, I mean, there's some limited exceptions of people who I know that kind of don't keep it, but that's such a small minority. I think most people are pretty committed to keeping someone's client information confidential. Uh, I was talking to you about this a little bit last night. Like, you know, like when I think about like what makes someone a good therapist, they're doing their own therapy and they're typically going to be in some type of a working group where they consult about cases and so this gets more on the therapy side than probably the client side. But the reality is, is like most of the things that stick or are hard for a therapist to a client have to do less with the client and more with the therapist. Or there's this like strange mix of that. And so you want your therapist to be able to leave a session and then go with his colleagues and in his own therapy to be talking about the things that are happening for them cuz that's how therapists get better at doing therapy. So but and
3: inside that that is still very much confidential and you're not like
4: Yeah, you're Joanna, doing it with people who are confidential <laughs> and then you're limiting like what you're talking about so that it is not person specific. So you're going more to like what the issues are, not, hey, I, I have this client with brown hair, blue eyes that works for Apple, and <laughs> you know lives at three. So, so you're you're protecting that person's confidentiality, um, so that no one would identify them. But you're talking about the things that show up in the room that are giving you problems as a therapist, which. For me, as I've done it more and more, most of the time when I'm consulting with someone, I have no idea who their client is because Mm -hmm. they're, they're pretty good at talking about what's happening while protecting really the confidentiality of the client.
3: Yeah. What do you think about situations where like a whole friend group kind of like decides a certain therapist is really great and start, I feel like I've seen that happen a couple of times and it's like, do you like, like
4: I would say that's bad. Okay. Like when I think about if I'm a therapist, and suddenly I'm doing therapy with three or four different people in the same friend group, Mm -hmm. I think the challenge is that suddenly, like friend one is in a session talking about friend three. And so then it becomes really hard because you're giving the same person information. And they're trying to do therapy with all the same people. So For myself as a therapist, I'm not going to try to have a bunch of people in the same friend group be my clients. In the instances where I have had people that kind of have a little bit of overlap, I have to talk with my clients about that so that they kind of know, like, The ideal thing for me is I get to create like my own world that revolves around my client based on what they're saying, Mm -hmm. and so it's hard when suddenly that world is being invaded, colored by by other people's and
3: versions too.
4: Can you do it? Yes. Do I think it's good? It's not good for. I don't like the therapy. It's hard for me to imagine how that's the best therapy for the client, but people do do it.
3: Okay. Uh, let's pivot because you do, okay, you do a lot of individual work. You do a lot of, you do some marital work like couples, but your primary, and we sort of said this earlier, is group therapy, which is kind of an unusual specialty, especially here in Nashville. It's kind of bigger in New York City and places like that. I, If you were like giving me the elevator pitch on what is awesome about group therapy, what would it be?
4: Yeah, I probably should get better at this. (laughs) Um, But for me, I really do think the, um, well, the the group ultimately becomes a recreation of the family unit. And so if you think about individual or even often couples therapy, what people are doing is coming in with a problem and kind of telling you about the problem by putting it up on a, a I kind of sometimes say it's like projector therapy. Like we have to kind of hope that the client is an accurate projector. So they're projecting what happened in their life up on the wall. We're looking at it together to try and understand what the feelings are, what's happening, what their thoughts are, and what they would have, how they would have liked to do it differently, which is a good way to do therapy. But then when you think about group therapy oftentimes you no longer have to use the projector because the things that people are talking about that are not working for them begin to not work for them in the relationships in the group. Like, so can you
3: we, give me an example?
4: Um, sure. I mean, there's all kind. it's, there is no, like
3: I'm doing a, I'm recreating a pattern of ish that I have in my personal life. And instead of telling you about it, it's actually happening in real time with my group members.
4: And oftentimes when you're telling someone about it, you're not able to tell them about it 100% accurately. But when it starts to show up in the group, you have somewhere between six to eight other people who are watching you do it. And so once you've told a couple stories, group members or the therapist might say, does this seem like that thing that you're talking about all the time? And so then it's no longer, do we have to trust you to project it up on the wall? We're seeing you do it. And so it like, tastes and smells and looks and sounds differently. And that typically is when people are doing some of their best work because people are talking about what it's like to be with you in this thing that is probably hindering you in relationship with other people.
3: Okay. Is there anything else that's kind of a group benefit?
4: Um, cost maybe? Yeah. Cost. Uh, I do think there is, uh, the recreation of the family unit. I think there's the vicarious nature of group. Like um, when you think about individual therapy, it's like you are the center and you have to bring the content. Whereas like when you're in a group, other people will be bringing content and that will both help you process things, but it'll typically wake up things for you in your own life and story that are helpful for your own therapy.
3: And that's cool. That's interesting. Um, you are probably not like the archetype of what most people think of when they're like, Oh, I'm going to go see a counselor. <laughs> <That's>
1: <laughs>
4: very true. Could
3: you talk about why or what, like maybe what, what you, where you have found like your place in this space?
4: Yeah. Well, I guess I'm assuming people on here know what the Enneagram is. And so the typical uh, counselor is you probably think of is going to probably be a woman in an Enneagram too.
3: And tell me what that is.
4: It's like the helper, somebody that's very like kind, caring. It's like great listener, great listener. like um, you'd want to sit with them for hours because they can just listen to all your problems and make you feel better. Uh-huh. I'm more the like male confrontational um, <laughs> direct. I, and does I, that mean
3: you're calling out your clients or no? What do you, what does that mean really?
4: I, I don't think I'm calling out my clients. Sometimes maybe uh, after we've established some rapport and relationship, I would just say like I'm more Concise. I'm going to be more uh, efficient with my words, and like people often complain. Like I start the session and they start. I I just look at them until you they wait start. until they start talking. Yeah, and, and people often complain like this is weird <laughs> or like this is intense. You know, it's like yeah, but yeah, like I. I I hope most of my clients they're they're paying a lot of money to come. It's a it's a time element, and so I want them to get the most of it. And people get the most of it when they have to think this is what I want to bring to this session and work on relationally, either outside the room or inside the room with me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Bean Dad, the dress. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math and Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future like Andrew Jarecki,
7: award-winning filmmaker and creator of Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry.
6: Or Kellen Kenney, chief marketing and growth officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar.
0: It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers, that is the best lesson.
6: In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
8: Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now.
3: saying out loud, which kind of surprised me, like you would say you specialize in narcissistic males. Is that just, is that still, this is, still my, is yeah. that your sweet spot? <laughs> it still is.
4: So, yeah. I mean, I would say a lot of times when someone is referring a client to me, especially a therapist in the back of my head, I'm always wondering like, um, huh. I wonder if someone in this referral network thinks that this person's narcissistic. And just that's because- what- <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, so when if, I think if about it, one what of your I'm,
3: friends refers you to Jeff. They might be telling you that you're a little bit narcissistic.
4: It, friends, not as much. No. It's really in the therapy community. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I would say like the the things that I do probably the best work with that probably other counselors don't. I work a lot with personality disorders, so that's like going to be functional. I call it functional because personality disorders are on a spectrum. You know, it's not. Don't think of it as binary. You're not either. Narcissistic or not narcissistic, it's like
3: we're both a little narcissistic. For example, we both have narcissistic
4: mm-hmm. traits. Mm-hmm. One of us more than others, <laughs> and uh, and then so then and so then I'm typically I want to work with the people who are like functional in their personality disorder. So like functional narcissism, functional borderline, and then oftentimes, what's people, borderline? Uh, it, it's you know, like to keep it simple, it's going to be more uh, the male, the female equivalent of kind of the more like traditionally, um, the DSM kind of let the men be narcissistic, which is kind of like grandiose sense of self. Um, and then the female kind of got diagnosed more with borderline, which is this idea of like, I love you. I love you now. I hate you. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, and so that's kind of, I work with a lot of the personality disorders when they show up in couples. And so I work with kind of specialize in working with that. So that's a lot of what I specialize in. It's not all that I work with, but yeah. Yeah. And those people don't advertise that that's their specialty. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Um, If you were to cast like a hope for people, like as a person who's chosen this as your profession, like what is your hope for people listening that maybe are curious or want to get help or like what cast a vision for them?
4: Yeah. It, It does go back. Like we were talking about our journey with therapy and when we were first going to therapy, there weren't a lot of therapists and it was like a little taboo. Yeah, it was like, man, you got to have some real problems. You might,
3: you guys must have a really broken marriage yeah. if, so you're going really be if, if you're working, going to
4: yeah. therapy. And so I kind of, and that's been in now, like that was 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the shift has been pretty dramatic. Yeah. Um, when I think about, you know, I kind of joke that now if you're a, um, you know, like a, a Belmont sophomore, junior, or you're like, a, a, especially a college female, oftentimes they talk about who is your therapist. And so... You know, it's swung a lot to where um, some people use therapy when things are really bad. Um, I kind of just say like, if you have the resources, uh, you can use therapy just as a way to like invest in yourself. And I think that's what has become really now more for me and you.
3: Right. Well, is, you could go because you, there is a real serious mental health health crisis, or you could go because it's part of how your personal development and how you want to grow as a person. Yes. Yeah.
4: And so that would be my, and you, and you can do either. I think the stigma is significantly less now, um, because of either of those things. And so, um, yeah, and we didn't get to really talk about this. Uh, it was like the first question you asked me, but if we go back yeah. to like, what are the reasons people come to therapy? It goes to me. Um, most people start therapy with probably similar to the reason I started therapy. Like I have a problem. I want my problem fixed.
3: Something isn't working in my life and it's become unmanageable or it's, yeah. yeah.
4: And so those typically you're going to hear kind of like four main complaints when someone's starting therapy, anxiety, depression, communication in a relationship, communication patterns, or some type of trauma. And so that typically people are coming with some type of a presenting issue that revolves around some version of one of those four things. And it's like, help me, help me. Cause I want this to be different in my life. And so uh, when I think about that, we're going to, I'm going to call that kind of solution focused therapy uh-huh. and uh, help me
3: problem solve, help, help me, me figure solve. out fix. Yeah. And,
4: and I've actually, I found that I'm typically pretty good at helping people do solution focused therapy. So like when I, when someone comes to see me, um, you think about the first session, I kind of say like the first session, first session or two is really about this. Like, do you like me? Do you think I can help you? Yeah. Once people kind of think that that is true, I ask them to make a 10 week commitment, 10 to 15 weeks where they come weekly.
3: Yeah. You have a lot of boundaries that I have some
4: boundaries have. Jeff has in a lot of therapy.
3: boundaries around like how he does therapy with people because you believe that's like the most effective way.
4: And so in that weekly 10 to 15 week goal, most people with me, I like to think, were able to help them begin to shift what's happening in their solution focused dilemma. Mm -hmm. And so then typically around that 10 to 15 week timeframe, the question becomes, did you get what you wanted? Are you ready to quit? Mm
1: -hmm. Is that all you
4: wanted? Or Uh do you want to shift to what I would call the heart and soul of therapy, which is what I would say is interpersonal therapy where suddenly it's less about the problem that you're bringing into the room. And it's more about how you wholly relate to people. And so as they begin to work on how they wholly relate to people, including how they're relating to, to me, you, mm-hmm. they then begin to work on things that not only change the problem, but help them change a lot of things in their life that are hopefully going to, you know, create greater life satisfaction.
3: I'm thinking about that. I'm nodding. I'm I'm like, I'm smiling. I'm like, that's awesome, actually. It's fun um, when it works. It's really fun. It's fun. It can be
4: terrible when it doesn't. But it's, <laughs> when it works, it works.
3: And so how does someone, if some, like, how does someone get the most out of therapy?
4: And that we go back to like, what we were talking about is like finding this person that you feel like, like that you, you like, like, you think can help and cares about you. And then you, you know, like you ultimately want to find someone I have, I think you want to find someone that like at the end of the day, you want to be kind of light that has characteristics that you would say, like, I see this characteristic in this person and I want that characteristic in For myself. myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a pretty good thing. And then if you can figure it out, you want to find someone that is working on themselves, someone who is working on themselves and doing their own work is going to be significantly more, uh, effective as a therapist than someone who is not. So I, I would ask about that.
3: I'm trying to think, is there anything else that you want to share about what you do before? I mean, I know we kind of did like a primer in some ways about like, what is it like to do therapy and what, you know, what can people expect and how do they find someone? But like, is there anything you want to share just from your, from the from the therapy
1: couch, <laughs> <laughs> I
4: I don't know what else I would. I'm not even sure exactly what I'm. I'm just talking to you right now. I'm in the living room. I think next you're going to talk to Brenna. Mm-hmm. Um, so a d- very different personality than mine. Mm-hmm. Um, what else would I want to share about therapy um, or
3: about the profession?
4: Yeah, you know I don't know. I mean we have we have stories where I think in our developmental experiences we were left with some deficiencies and so as we found people who we could pay to be our therapists i think they really helped us backfill a lot of those deficiencies mm-hmm. and which made it much easier for me and you to relate to one another and for us to relate to other people And so for us, we have uh, stories where therapy has really changed our lives. Dramatically changed
3: our lives. Mm -hmm.
4: And so, you know, does everyone need to have a therapist? No. But I would say if you're, if you have the resources, it is sadly, it is a resource specific business. But if you have the money, um, it's
3: an amazing way to invest in your soul. It really is an amazing
4: investment to have Someone that is on a journey with you through life, and so I, yeah, I yeah. would recommend it.
0: Bean Dad, the dress, thirty to fifty feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. Sixteenth minute of fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day.
7: It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit.
8: Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: I would say too, like, as I reflect on the different kind of therapists that I've had too, it has, like, you know, I... 10 years ago, I did not have like a core group of friends. And now, like, my four, five, six female friends that are like my whole world that are my, you know, truly, truly ride or dies. I'm like, ooh, I bet, like, I had to learn how to do relationship. And I learned how to do that from our therapist. And that is a huge, just, that is a huge change. Like someone and someone that, and it is weird because you are exchanging money, right? You don't normally exchange money for a relationship, but like that person, their whole job is to care for you in that room. And that is something I had to learn to do is just take that space up and not be feel like I would feel a lot of shame about it. It's like you walk into that room and that 50 minutes or however long, like, yeah, it's it's just all about you and your healing, your growth, and having someone that just cares for you deeply. I mean, I think that's the thing too. It's like you care deeply for the people you work with. It's not. I mean, there, you probably have your favorites. I I think I I'm do. A, I have I to mean, think but, my, I'm everyone's favorite. That's something that people <laughs> will talk
4: about in the room, and you do a, a good response. That I often say to people is: people pay me for my time; they don't pay me for my care, and so it's. Um,
3: they pay you for your time, but they don't, but you, your care. I my
4: own people I care about and people I don't care about. Okay. And so people who I care about, that's more the human part of interpersonal you therapy. You care about them. Yeah. Yeah. And people who I typically don't care about, they don't stay with me in therapy. <laughs> and so there's this natural, uh, I hope like, those people Or yeah, like, there's not find, chemistry, yeah. They. I hope they go find someone that's more of a fit for them or where that does get developed. But... There is this very natural function of people are paying me for my time. Yeah. No one is going to pay me to care about them. That's not.
3: Yeah. But that and the freedom in that for people is like, yeah, your, your person, if you're in a a therapeutic relationship, your counselor does care for you and it's their, and, and that's their job. And it's a pretty amazing, it's a pretty amazing gig. Would you go back to the car business?
4: (laughs) No, probably not. (laughs) Car business is rough.
3: Yeah. Um well Jeff thank you so much. Um I am going to cast vision for the people that are listening to the sound of my voice right now. We are holding up Kelly Henderson who is, you know, this is her podcast, this is her one of her babies and she has wisely listened to her spirit, listened to her heart and taken time off because she was running on fumes and we all have to to take those moments in our life see them they're scary they're scary but when you can see them know what they are hear their call and and then like take care of yourself in it so i just want to say like It is so awesome. I think Kelly is actually leading this whole tribe by setting a great example of caretaking herself for stopping, for getting quiet. Um, And uh, my vision, my hope for the people that are listening to us today is maybe there is one thing that you can take away into your personal life that you can be curious about, maybe your own journey for therapy. Maybe that is a resource that you could use to uh, make your life better and healthier, and um, we're just really, really glad that you joined us. I've interviewed a lot of people, um, I've never interviewed my husband. My, you're my first therapy interview, Jeff. Would you give me a what well, rank me out of 10? How did we do?
8: You're very good. At interviewing. I am, yeah, thanks. Yeah.
3: All right, y'all. Um, again, my name is Kelly Bannon. I thank you so, so much for joining us today, and um. We will be coming later in the week. Jeff kind of teased it. Um, the This was, of course, the Velvet side of Velvet's Edge. And later this week, the Edge side of the Velvet Edge podcast will be me riffing with my truly my BFF, Brenna Perkins, who is one of the sunniest, brightest personalities I know. And boy, does this girl love books <laughs> about Therapy. So we're literally talking, we're just going to be dishing on some of the books that have been really popular kind of in pop culture in the last couple of years that deal either their fiction and deal with um, therapy as a concept or they are um, nonfiction or memoirs about the therapy world. And so it's going to, it's going to be a wild one. If I know, if I know Brenna, it's going to be, this will be the, this is the chill podcast. That's going to be the wild, the wild podcast. Um, and if y'all want to keep up with me, um, I would be so honored. You can and follow me at Kelly Bannon on Twitter, If you want to know more about Jeff and his counseling practice, um, his practice is called Jeff Grossman Counseling. You can find it on the Internet. Um, and if you want to join me for any of my shows on Apple Radio, um, I would absolutely love that. I have a daily show called The Kelly Bannon Show, which airs at 1 p.m. Central every day. And then on Fridays, that show becomes kind of a headline country um, conversation, and it's called Today's Country and I would be so honored if you would join us there. Thank you so much, y'all. It was so good to be with you. Thank you, Jeff. i
2: will say bye. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Velvet's Edge podcast with Kelly Henderson, where we believe everyone has a little velvet and a little edge. Subscribe for more conversations on life, style, beauty, and relationships. Search Velvet's Edge wherever
0: you get your podcasts. Bean Dad, The Dress.